Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This is episode number 98 and I'm getting very close to that 100 episode mark which for some reason I think ought to be something kind of special. I'm not sure what to do, but it, it is sort of a a big milestone. Um, when I think back on the beginnings of this podcast, what, I remember when I finished the first one and I listened back to it. I hadn't set up the website. I hadn't, I hadn't done anything yet. I was just recording. And I edited it and I put the little intro on it and I was... Then I did a second one, and I, I decided that I need to have at least 10 pre-recorded before I launched. And, uh, you know, at that time, I was thinking, what in the world am I going to talk about? But it's, it's interesting to me that as this has progressed, I really haven't run out of things to say. And I, I don't know if that, that says something positive about me and my my wide range of experience and knowledge. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it is or whether each thought leads to another thought. It's like every question brings up another question. And it, it's sort of like you can never truly get to the bottom of anything because it's like a fractal environment where the deeper you look, the deeper it gets. And, you know, I like things that are like that. I like things that are not just so cut and dried and simple. I like things that are complex and difficult and hard to define and hard to explain. It's more fun to me when something is like that. And music is certainly one of those things. You know, I, I've talked about this in a previous, probably multiple episodes that I don't think I've ever played the, you know, the same song identically twice. Every time you play it, it comes out differently. If you practice a tune and you play it a hundred times, you're going to play it a hundred different ways. And this could go on infinitely. Now it may, on the surface, it might be 99.9% .9 the same, but there are little microscopic dif differences from from one repetition to the next. And those little microscopic differences are the interesting part to me. Anyway, so as I set out to do this podcast, I jokingly said to my wife that, well, I might make 500 of them. You know, I honestly didn't think I would. But now here we are coming along to approaching episode 100. Now, now, I should say, technically speaking, we've already hit 100 because I put out, I think, three bonus episodes so far. So if you add them all up, if you were to go to my Podbean hosting page, it says 100 episodes. So technically, I've already hit 100. But in terms of the numbered official episodes, this is number 98. So I'm just trying to think of something I could do perhaps a little bit different than the others just to, you know, mark that milestone. I haven't, haven't come up with anything, but 
maybe over the next few days I will. My wife and son are out of town. And let me tell you something. This house has been just dead quiet, especially when the furnace shuts off. And it hasn't been running much because it's been extremely warm. And it's been raining, misting, foggy, drizzly. And it's just quiet. It's it's kind of weird to, uh, you know, go from a chaotic, normal household with, uh, you know, with Jackson running around, playing the piano and, you know, doing all this stuff, to go from that to total solitude. You know, it's it's kind of bizarre. But I've been trying to make good use of my time. And one of the things I intend to do is to put a little thought into and possibly produce that 100th episode. So stick around. We'll, you'll, you'll find out what I do I, at this point. I don't know what I'll do on episode 100. Okay. I'm, I'm just kind of uh, rambling here. Let me tell you what I want to cover today. And this is going to be just kind of a, a rambling year end wrap up. You might say, since we are here at the end of the year, I want to, I want to first of all say a very heartfelt thank you to you the listener for hanging around and listening to this stuff because if you weren't listening I wouldn't continue doing it. Now, I will admit that I would like a few more listeners, so if you can help get me some more listeners by telling your friends or printing out that little mini flyer you know, hey, I would appreciate that. You know, a typical episode goes up and I see after weeks gone by, you know, 175, 200 downloads. I'm going, yeah, people are listening. And I, I told that story about, you know, if I, if I put on a weekly show down at the Rylander Theater and 200 people showed up every week, I would think I was very successful. I'm going to give a free lecture and 200 people come in and sit there every week. You know, that's pretty good. Uh, but you know, I'd like 400 or, you know, I know I'll never hit the Joe Rogan, uh, numbers. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know if I would want to, but anyway, thank you to anybody who has told someone else about this podcast. Good old grass talk radio. It doesn't cost anything and it, and it does help me helps keep me motivated. Okay, so thank you to anybody who's done that. Second thing, and this is this is something, you know, I have a hard time putting my finger on. I I I am one of those data-driven people who like to track things and count things and make little charts and graphs and, you know, that's a way for me to visualize, you know, how am I doing? Like if if I was on a diet, I would have a weight chart, you know, on the refrigerator and I would be weighing myself every morning and charting it. Um, that's just the way I work. And so one of the things I've had difficulty with this entire process is being able to determine why somebody goes to my site and buys one of my products. I suspect, you know, there are people well, I know there are people who have come along and let's say just happened upon the jam session survival 
part of my website and saw the little jam session survival mobile ebook and you know downloaded it for five bucks and and had never listened to this podcast but i also think that there are people who have listened to the podcast and heard me say hey if you like what i'm doing you know you can support the show by buying one of my products i think there are also people who have done that but i can't tell who's who i don't know which which did you know what motivated somebody so maybe you're that that person who you know just thought hey, i kind of like this podcast i think i'll go over there and throw the guy a bone and i'll buy something you know and maybe you know bought claw hammer banjo 12 or something you know and all i'm all i want to get get across here is that i can't identify who's doing what and why but i do want to say thank you so let me just give a big blanket thank you which brings up another point i think it's a mistake for us to have the holiday thanksgiving i mean to try to put thanksgiving into a one day event i think is a mistake I think we'd all be a lot happier if we would make Thanksgiving a daily event. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. I try to say thank you for anything good that comes my way. I, I, I actually, when I go out to the chicken coop and get the eggs, I know it's stupid, but I look at those hens, the bird brains that they are, and I say, thank you, ladies as I steal their eggs. I'm big on saying thank you. I, uh, when I get emails, uh, you know, indicating that a sale has taken place and I see, uh, an email from PayHip and an email from, from PayPal, both of those indicating that I've just sent them some money. And then I get the little email that says you have sold X, Y, Z. Oh, somebody bought the dulcimer instruction course. I have made it a habit to when I look at that email to say, thank you, Bob, I do this. And I, I know it's bizarre and you know, it just goes out into the universe and Bob doesn't hear it. I don't hit reply and go, Hey, thanks, Bob. Because at that point, I don't know whether he's even completed the download yet, you know? So, um, you know, and I'm not trying to open up 1,500 individual conversations with everybody that comes along. I just don't have time to fully engage at that level. Now, if somebody takes the time to write to me, I will respond to them. But I, I don't want to open that can of worms with just everybody that comes through. Just bolt out an email. Hey, thanks, you know. But I do say it. And I guess it... You know, it may stem from, you know, when you're a little kid and you're, and your mother's putting you to bed and she says, all right, say your prayers and you do. And, you know, part of that is being thankful. I just want to say thank you for anything and everything that you may have done throughout the past year that has benefited me. So I, I'm not going to name any names here. There are some people who have done some, some extraordinary things. And, you know, I just want to say thanks. So enough about all the 
thinking. The other thing I want to talk about is that goal setting thing, which I'm going to push toward the end. I want to get to another thing. I, I just mentioned that when somebody emails me, I do. Um, thankfully, I don't get 500 emails a day. I get, you know, a couple a week from a person with a question and I do try to respond to them. But um, one of the things that happens is I tend to get the same type of questions over and over. I do get unique questions and oftentimes those get worked into a podcast episode. Well, I got a question this, I think it was about 10 days ago from a guy named Brandon. Just ask a real legitimate question. And I thought, you know, there's more than one person that has that question. So maybe I should just, instead of responding one-on-one -on -one with the guy, I'll just roll it into the podcast. And that way I, you know, may kill two birds or multiple birds, a whole flock of birds with one stone, you might say. So I'm going to do that a little more in the future is try to bring up some questions from listeners. Uh, so anyway, here's basically Brandon's question. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit um, just so I don't have to quote the entire email. But he says, I just got my first band together and I'm wondering if it's more important to have one lead singer all the time or switch it up and let other folks sing lead too. And I think that's a valid question. If you, and I think you need to, to kind of step back and say, well, why does this band exist? Because there are all sorts of bands. There are bands that are, are not necessarily meant to be a commercial enterprise that are more meant to be a recreational enterprise for the participants or a learning experience for the participants. And that would be especially true if you have a band of beginners, intermediate level players, or maybe some people who have, you know, done it in the past, kind of got out of it and want to get back into it. I guess what I'm saying is, how I would answer that question, whether you should have one single identifiable lead singer all the time or, you know, throw it around, let, let everybody have their shot at it. I think how you answer that depends upon, you know, what your, what your intentions are for the band. I don't know what Brandon's intentions are for this band. When he says, I got my first band together, he may have been playing for eight years he may have a a goal in mind of putting a band together and taking it on the road and you know you know what i'm saying or he may be you know 6 months of a mandolin playing under his belt and you know he scrounged up a few pickers and uh you know wants to you know just try to start learning the experience of you know how a band operates you know and I would say that, you know, depending upon what those, what the goal for the band is, might or will um, enlighten you as to which way to go with this. 
here's here's the pros and cons to a single full-time identifiable lead singer on the pro column if your band has one lead singer now that doesn't mean you can't play instrumentals but let's say a song is being sung and somebody is singing lead and it's that guy or that gal every time probably the reason that is is probably because they're the best lead singer in the group and that's very logical that makes sense you want to put your best foot forward so let's say you have five people in a band and one of those people is just an awesome bluegrass lead singer well doesn't it make sense you should put your most awesome lead singer in that role of lead singer. And let's say that the, the other four members, you got three of them that are, eh, they're okay singers. Not great. You know, it depends on the song, you know. And then you got one who, that dude can't really sing. And he doesn't even want to sing. Now, what would be the benefit in having those three? Eh, they're okay. They're pretty good. You know, he sings on pitch, and he's got some interesting stuff. He's he's not as good as that other guy, but he but he's pretty good. What well, what's the advantage in putting them up front and saying, "Hey, listen to this guy sing"? I don't think there's much advantage in that. Uh, you know your quality level just notched down a bit. So one of the pros is that the quality of lead singing typically will be better if you stick your best lead singer out front all the time. The, the next thing that is a pro to having a single full-time lead singer all the time, and we'll assume it's the best lead singer in your group, is that you'll have a more identifiable sound slash brand. And you may even name the band, you know, after that person, you know. I mean, how many people went around, you know, bought tickets to an Allison Krauss show, concert, or whatever, thinking in their mind, I'm going to see Union Station. No, they would say, you know, we're going to see Allison Krauss. So it's, it's a more identifiable brand. So that's a plus to having one primary lead singer. Now, we'll note, however, that when you would go see Allison Krauss, she didn't sing lead all the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a minute. But those are pros. You're putting your best foot forward, ostensibly, and you'll have a more identifiable brand and sound. And that can help your marketing. You know, if, if you're out in Vegas, let's say you're out in Vegas back in the 80s and you went to see Tom Jones. Up on the marquee, it says Tom Jones. And you buy a ticket and you go and you're going to hear Tom Jones singing. You don't want to hear the trombone player get up and sing. That's not why you're there, you know, and they're not going to get the trombone guy up to 
sing his song just because he, he's got this really cool song he likes to sing, you know. No, the trombone player is going to play the trombone and Tom Jones is going to do the singing. That's, you know, at the highly commercialized end of the scale. A lot of bluegrass bands are not that. And Brandon, your bluegrass band may not be in that, in that league. You know, I, I don't know what, what level or what you plan to do with your band. So I think the less commercialized your band is, the more it's okay to feature a variety of lead singers. So let's look at the, you know, the downside of having just one single lead singer all the time. The first thing is lack of variety. You know, if you're going to sit through three sets watching this band and every song, it's the same guy singing lead there's going to be a tendency for a lot of it to sound an awful lot alike. Now, if the singer is just phenomenally great, there's a lot of people that want to hear that and they're happy to sit through it. But on the other hand, it can be refreshing to the ears of the listener to present a bit of a variety show. I'm big on entertainment and you know, a huge part of entertainment is to have some variety. So bringing forward different people to sing lead is a way to create a more entertaining bit of variety in your show. So I think that's, that would be a plus on the side of mixing it up, letting other people sing. Now, here's another important point, and this is especially true the probably on the less commercial end of the performing scene. And that is internal band politics and emotions, personal feelings. If you've got a little band that, you know, plays a weekly gig at a pizza joint and you insist on treating it like that Vegas show, and that, you know, it's going to be the uh, John Doe band. And John Doe is going to sing every song. I mean, that's that's your call. Um, however, you may be missing something. Because maybe your bass player sings a couple of songs. And he, he really enjoys singing them. And he may not be as good as John Doe. But, you know, he's got his people there, too, that want to hear him sing. They're going like, hey, let, uh, you know, look, Johnny sing. Johnny, do that song. And, and, you know, they don't care that it's not the greatest thing ever. They just want to see him sing. And he enjoys doing it. So I think you're going to hurt some feelings and you're going to create an atmosphere of of tension if you you know, on the, on the, I don't want to say the lower end of the spectrum, on the less commercial end of the spectrum, if you insist on only one lead singer, I think it's probably a wise idea to throw it around a little bit. Now you're going to have some cases where, you know, there are people within your band who want to do some lead singing who just aren't really that good at it. And that's where 
you know, a little bit of a lot of, of tactfulness and uh, patience will come in handy. You know, do you pat them on the back and say, oh, that was great and encourage them? Or do you give them the stink eye and try to write them out of the set list in the future? I mean, you make your own call there. You make your bed. You have to sleep in it. But just think about it. If, if your gig is playing for tips at a pizza joint, I don't think it's worth it to risk the value of your friendships and losing potential, you know, good productive members of your band. I mean, this might, it, this, this might be your banjo player who's, who's really a good solid banjo player, but just, you know, not that awesome of a singer, but you still might want to let him go ahead and do it. It's not going to hurt your career because you don't have a career. You know, it's not going to hurt your gig because you're playing for tips. It might hurt your tips, but I don't know. That guy may have his little crowd in there that'll throw 20 bucks in to hear him sing Rocky Top. Who knows? I guess what I'm saying here is if you want to suffer the consequences and, you know, stick to your guns of like, we're going to treat this little pizza joint band like, like we are full-time professionals and we're going to do everything the way the pros do it. And we're going to be, have very, you know, well-defined rules for what goes on in this show. I think that may be a mistake. Now, if that's your goal and you want to move into that world, maybe you should do that. Um, I will uh, mention just because it just happened to pop in my mind that on the branding issue that having, having your lead singer mentioned by name in the band name, like Flatten Scruggs, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, Jimmy Martin and the blah, blah, blah. You know, that's sort of a trend going back to that. But there is a little bit of a danger. Let's say you're the lowly mandolin player in that band and, and you've, as a group, made the decision that you're going to feature this guy and you're going to mention this person by name like Allison Krauss and Union Station. That's the way you're going to bill yourself. There's going to be the tendency for the public to drop the band name. Eventually, that's just going to become, we're going to see Allison Krauss. We're going to see Flat and Scruggs. A lot of people won't even remember that it was the Foggy Mountain Boys, you know. And so if you're a Foggy Mountain Boy, you become more expendable. That's what I'm saying. So sometimes, you know, at least consider that, that when you do feature somebody by name, you're making it a lot easier for that person to just pack up and hit the road and leave you behind and all the rest of you uh, behind because you've established them under their name. And you see that once in a while in the bluegrass world, you know, there's this band and they got a really great lead singer and pretty soon, you know, he's off flying solo and he's got a new band and cutting records under his own name individually. And, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, you you know, at least think about that's a potential possibility. 
Okay. Um, I would like to also um, say that I'm not coming down on either side of this. I think it's so individual to your individual situation that you need to make the decision. Now, if you're forming a band and you're going to be the dictator of this band and it's going to be your band, you're going to hire and fire the members, you know, do what you want to, you know, put your name on the band. But if it's one of these sort of uh, democratic type operations, go back and listen to, I think it's called Monarchy versus Democracy, that, that podcast. Talk all about that. But I will say there is a historical precedent set by the man himself, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, for featuring multiple people certainly featuring someone other than himself. And my guess is that his logic was he was the tenor singer primarily. He sang lead. He certainly did. But he often shifted to tenor on the courses. And so you were employing a lead singer. You know, I just, I think he felt his, his best role was to be singing that high, lonesome lead, uh, tenor, you know? So if you were the guitar player with Bill Monroe, you were going to be singing lead and featured on certain songs. So it's, it's, you know, well-documented historical precedents for throwing it around a little bit on the other side of the coin. If you weren't very good at it, you know, you weren't likely to be featured, I, I think, or you might, not be in the band very long. In other words, Bill Monroe did not have a problem with putting in front of the microphone other people singing lead. So you could use that as your excuse to throw it around and let some other people sing. Uh, Flatten Scruggs is another example of that. Flatten Scruggs, 95% of the time, is Lester Flat singing lead. I don't think Earl wanted to sing lead. I don't know that I, I suppose he maybe did sing lead on some, I don't ever recall it. I just can't think of a tune off the top of my head where Earl stepped up and sang. It probably occurred because they did employ a lot of variety, but I can recall watching some Flatten Scruggs TV shows where, uh, Josh Graves and I'm trying to think who was playing bass stepped up to the microphone and sang a duet together. Lester, he's just playing rhythm. So even in Flat and Scruggs, where it was primarily Lester Flat singing lead for variety, they did bring other people forward to occasionally sing lead. And I think, you know, the higher level of professionalism you have, or, you know, the higher caliber of band, the more likely those people are to be really good singers and that, you know, there is that danger that if, if, if you're pushing somebody up to the microphone, who's really not that good, you know, it could harm your, the overall direction of your band, but just, you know, remember the internal band politics and emotions thing that I talked about before. Now, in the case of the bands that I've played with over the years, most of the bands, when we started out, you know, back when I was, you know, playing a year, two years, three years, those initial bands like the Bluegrass Barnstormers and Peavine and 
you know, just some of these first uh, rudimentary bands that were put together, everybody sang lead. And frankly, it was because each person came to the band knowing a few songs and we needed a set list. So, well, you sing, you sing that, I sing this. And it was just a more expedient way to get a set list going. Um, over time, you know, the first version of Pony Express that we had together at any given time, one of three people might be singing lead. And so we carried that idea forward. So we never really had an identifiable lead singer. I might be singing baritone on this and lead on the next. I, I didn't ever go tenor, but three of us sang lead in that first version of Pony Express. And the later version of Pony Express, when it became Buddy Ashmore and Pony Express, we featured Buddy singing lead on 80% of the tunes. We just decided that he was so good at that role of singing those story songs and sitting there playing that guitar and just singing lead. We just all enjoyed it so much that, that our mindset changed then. I didn't feel the need. I, I didn't really even want to get up and sing lead. I just wanted to try to make Buddy sound as good as he could. And I'm happy back there singing baritone. Now we did still for variety's sake and for entertainment purposes, each, uh, you know, anybody in the band potentially could sing lead on a tune, but it might only happen. You know, I might only sing lead on two songs in the course of three sets, but it did provide a little variety and a little break for buddy. He didn't, you know, there were some there were some tunes that he didn't sing on at all, and it gave him a little rest and gives the audience a rest. So weigh all the possibilities. In the band Cedar Hill, it was a lot more democratic. We it seemed like everybody was singing lead. You know, I you know, if if we did fifty songs, I might have sang lead on twelve or fourteen of them. And it seemed like everybody in the band was singing lead. And I think that was driven by the variety aspect of how Cedar Hill performed. I mean, we really covered the bases. We did everything from Beatles tunes to Bill Monroe. We covered some wide ground. So a lot of times it was just a matter of who was the, the best suited to put this kind of tune across. If we were going to sing Freebird, you know, there was a good chance that the guy singing it had sung it in a rock band, you know, 10 years before that. So we, we threw it all in there that, you know, everything but the kitchen sink. And so it was almost over the top variety show and that was okay. It worked. Um, so anyway, hopefully these are just some ideas, Brandon and anybody else who might be puzzling over this things to consider. I, you know, I do think there is a marketing advantage to having a, a single named person, especially if they're of extreme high quality and just put them up front and everybody else's job is to make them sound as just as great as they can. I think that's a good policy. If you, if you're trying to go the commercial route, if you're not, I think it's better to throw it around, give everybody a chance. And, uh, you know, See what happens because one of the things is some of these people who might not be great singers, they're, they're not going to get any better by not singing. So, you know, 
if if a guy gets up there every week and sings his song, well, after 75 weeks, he's probably going to learn to sing it better. Now, I'm, I'm not saying some people you just can't, you know, they either can sing or they can't. I'm not sure you should put those people in front of a microphone and they probably don't want to. They, they know the truth. I'm talking about the guy that can't carry a tune in a bucket. But if the person is an okay singer, they're going to become a better singer by getting up there and doing it. They're going to learn how to sing that song. You know, how to work the microphone, how to address the audience, how to project, how to harmonize, you know, and they're going to get better at that. So, you know, at the earlier levels of band starting, I think it's a good idea to let people sing, encourage it. People will only improve by doing it. Okay. In other words, you can't read a book about singing and get better at singing. You might learn something about singing, but you're not going to be any better at it unless you're just exercising those pipes. And part of singing is performing. So I'm kind of on the side of, you know, Take your chances, risk your big bluegrass career, and, uh, you know, let people get up there and sing. And then see what you can do to make them sound better by the way you play and the way you harmonize. And perhaps by what key you put them in and, and things like that. Put them in their best key. Don't force somebody into a key that is uncomfortable for them. Okay, so that's enough about um, trying to answer Brandon's question. I hope I did a reasonably decent job of that. And now I just want to wrap this episode up with a little bit of talk about goal setting. As I said, I, I was uh, cruising over on Manlin Cafe not too long ago, just lurking as I do. And I, I saw some, some chatter about uh, people stating, you know, what goals they were, they were going to um, have for the coming year and that, that sort of thing. Uh, so, I thought I would just put in my two cents worth here rather than on the forum because a lot of times I, I don't post thoughts over there because, you know, if if a thread gets a hundred posts and I've got one little sentence that I I put my two cents worth in, the chance of anybody seeing that is slim. People just scrolling by, skimming, half reading, you know, it's just... You, you get in there and you're just kind of adding momentum and stirring the pot, but I, I, I don't think that much good ever comes out of it. And I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't post things, but when I sit down and address a question, you know, I kind of want to flesh it out more fully rather than just tossing in my two cents worth. You know, if, if they want my two cents worth, they can come over here and listen to the podcast. But I saw some things that I have often seen when people state their goals and, and this, this thread, by the way, you can find it. It's called goals for 2019. And, you know, the, the original poster, the OP, um, just, you know, put down a few thoughts of some things he was going to work on in the coming year. And, and then other people started weighing in and making their little jokes and, you know, the usual stuff. And it's fun, you know, I consider engaging actively in a forum a lot like dropping by a tavern and drinking a couple beers and, and talking to the people, you know, sitting around a bar. That's, that's kind of how I, I 
I view the forums. And, you know, I wish there was a mandolin cafe, you know, with a couple of taps that I could actually stop by and just shoot the breeze with mandolin people. I would actually enjoy that a lot more than thumb typing to the same people. Besides, you get to see what they look like, you know. What's that guy look like? And and you might even do a little picking. But anyway, here's the point I want to say, and then I'll, I'm going to close this out. And that is, I think there is a tendency to uh, for people to formulate very ill-defined goals. In other words, they the goals sound good, but they're hard to measure. And I've used this example before. Let's say I have a rowboat. Well, what what is my goal with the rowboat? And I take it down to the beach and I launch my rowboat out into the into the bay. And I could say, well, my goal is I'm going to row. I'm going to, I'm going to row my boat. That's my goal. Okay. That's kind of a very ill-defined goal. Uh, it's not well-formed. It's like you haven't defined where you're going in that boat or for how long you intend to row. You, you see what I'm saying? So when you, when you beach your boat and drag it up on the shore... Well, have you accomplished your goal? Well, the answer is always yes when it's ill-defined. You were going to row and you rowed. Goal accomplished. And, you know, there are some goals that's that's okay. That's a that's probably a good way to do certain goals. But it might be, it, I think, it is better to have a more measurable goal. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to row out to the lighthouse and back. You know? Well, if you didn't make it all the way there and all the way back because of the current or something, or the tide, well, when you land your boat, you can say, well, I didn't make it. Tomorrow, I'm going to come down at high tide, you know, <laughs> when the tide's going out, and by God, this time, I'll make it. You know what I'm saying? You could You could have a goal of, I'm going to lose weight and get healthy. Well, if you lost a quarter ounce of weight in the next year, you could say, yeah, I lost weight. And I don't know. You know, it's just, how do you measure I'm healthy? But if you said, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Well, you can determine that quite easily. Get on the scales. Did you lose 10 pounds? Yes, no. Or how close did you come to it? Uh, same goes for like metronome practice. You know, I, I want to be able to play faster. Okay, well, one beat per minute faster and you've accomplished your goal. Uh, how about, um, let's say you've got a tune that you can play cleanly at 80 beats per minute and you set a goal of, I want to play it at 96 cleanly. And, you know, there is some subjectivity in how you determine, did you reach your goal? It's not like, you know, crossing a finish line on a marathon, you know, you know, you cross the goal. Some of these things are a little subjective, like, well, did I really play it that cleanly uh, or was I, you know, tensing up and, you know, you're going to have to weigh those things yourself. But I think having a, 
a more measurable, more well-defined goal will help you achieve those things. Like, uh, here is, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm going to pick out somebody's, somebody's goal. They mentioned, uh, da -dum -dum -dum. Oh, here, th now this is a pretty well-defined goal. My goal is to at least get one hour of practice a day. There's a goal. So when that person, you know, lays down at night and, and decides I've had a full day and I'm going to sleep, they can ask themselves, did I practice an hour today? If the answer is yes, they achieved their goal. If the answer is no, they didn't. That's a measurable goal. I'm going to practice one hour a day. I'm not saying you should practice an hour a day, but I, I think it helps you to know whether or not you're achieving your goals. And if they're so ethereal, you know, that you can't, you're not sure if you did or not. For example, if that person said, my goal is to practice more. Well, that, that's a little harder to measure. So all I would suggest is as you go into the new year that you might want to make a few goals, you probably have some. I think it, it would be wise to define them very clearly instead of saying, I want to learn more fiddle tunes. Write down the tunes you want to learn, you know, make a list of 10 tunes and say, I'm going to learn to play all of these 10 tunes from memory. And then I'm going to build the speed up on each one of them so that I can play all of them at this speed or that speed. And, you know, because if you can play the tune from memory, that's the first step. Second step is, can you play it at the speed where everybody else is playing it or where your group is playing it or something? So you might want to include the, the uh, speed measurement as well, or the tempo measurement. Anyway, I, I want to uh, just close this out by saying my favorite goal that I saw in this thread was posted by a guy named Yankees One. And uh, he's got a good goal and it's easy to measure. His goal, I, I say his, it might not be a he, I don't know, is stay above ground. <laughs> I think that's a good goal. And, you know, each night as he lays his head on his pillow, he can say, well, I did it. <laughs> I'm not six feet under. I used to tell people my goal is to continue breathing as long as possible. You know? And maybe one of these days I will come back and address the concept of no goals and how you can press uh, progress through the use of having no goals. And I think there is a, there is a case to be made for that, but there is also a very strong case to be made for setting a goal and, you know, pointing your ship in that direction and really attempting to, to get there because it keeps you on that straight and narrow path. And you make better progress when you travel in a direct efficient path towards a goal than if you wander all over the place. I go back and there's an episode I did all about that, talking about my father and our trips to Florida when I was a kid. Anyway, I have wasted enough of your time for today. 
Uh, Happy New Year's, everyone. Happy New Year, I should say. And uh, I'm going to spend some time uh, working on this, trying to cook up an idea for episode 100. I don't know what it'll be. Anyway, y'all take care and uh, thanks for everything you've done for me this past year. I hope you've enjoyed the show and it's not too boring. As my wife says, you should market your website as a sleep aid (laughs) because, uh, you know, I think it really does work. She swears that when she listens to me talk, it just puts her instantly to sleep. And I have witnessed this many times. I think it's because I tend to talk a subject to death and I, and it's not something she's interested in. But anyway, if it has just made your sleep more, uh, if it has just made your sleep more, um, enjoyable over the past year, uh, Hey, I'm okay with that too. Uh, if you like the show, uh, tell your friends about it. And of course, you can always visit bradleylaird.com and peruse all of the various materials that I have over there. Y'all take care. Happy New Year.